Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast today is sponsored in loving memory of Chacham Rafael Aryeh Alava Shalom. Lilui Nishmat Chacham Rafael Ben Malka Virabi Haya Alava Shalom, sponsored by the Aryeh and Rohev Shalom families. Breakfast is also dedicated in loving memory of Rivka Nahmias Alava Shalom. Lilui Nishmat Rivka Bat Bahie Alava Shalom, sponsored by her son Abraham Nahmias. Breakfast is dedicated in loving memory of Raymond and, Re- and David Sofer, David Ben Naima, and Simha Bat Hannah sponsored by the son Edward Sofer. Breakfast is also sponsored by Rabbi Dr. Navid Rahmani on the occasion of the Hilula of Rabbi Yisrael Abu Aser, the Baba Saleh. Please say the Berachot, Lilui Nishmatehim. Rabbi it's wonderful to be back. I must say, it's wonderful to be back. We was in Eretz Israel with the kids. Uh, to spend a little bit of family time, which is the most important time to spend, to make sure that your uh, kids remember your name. Uh, like I saw the bumper sticker that says, be nice to your kids, they choose your nursing home. Rabotai, it's important as well, aside from the, the what's it called, the, the spending time with the kids, spending time with the wife, it's a very hashub, very important thing. But what I found was tremendous was uh, missing the opportunity to share Torah with each and every one of you each and every day. And uh, uh, what's nice as well is that the, I noticed that the podcast of the last shiur that we did, which was uh, in Vaera, uh, was uh, listened to almost double the amount of times of the normal uh, class. So clearly people are turning back to the class to be able to try and get some inspiration, and that's a, a wonderful feeling. Hazaku Baruch, it's so, it's so good to be back with you. Parashat Bo, fascinating idea in the parasha, we're noticing right in the beginning. The Torah tells us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe, Bo el paro, I want you to come to paro, and I want you to realize, Ki ani ikhbaditi, I made hard the heart of paro and the heart of avadav. What was the purpose of uh, hardening the heart? Leman shiti ototai ele bikirbo. In order that I should place these signs, these wonders amongst the Egyptians. Then the pasuk afterwards continues and says another thing. In order you should tell your children and your children's children. So one uh, point of all of these makot in, uh, in Paro's midst was in order that the Egyptians should see, they should be witness all of these signs and these wonders. The second point is, is that all the Jewish children and the children's children should hear Now I understand that you want the Jewish people to tell their children eternally about the might and the powers of God. Because that is the source in many ways of our emunah that we repeat and we talk all the time about the miracles that God did for the Jewish people when they left Misraim. In fact, it's a mitzvah that we have every morning and every night when we say over the Shema, we have an obligation to Zechi Yitzhak Mitzrayim to remind ourselves of all of the, uh, the miracles that God did for us in those, uh, in those days. However, Rabotai, what exactly, what was the point of putting these signs in the Egyptians in order that the Egyptians should know that I'm God? What Menen Luen? Why do the Egyptians need to know that Hashem is God? Why not the, the uh, what's it called, the, the Japanese? Well, the Chinese, how come Hashem is not worried that the Chinese people, aside from now I'm sure all the time they're saying Be'ezrat Hashem, that they have the coronavirus, you know, I'm sure that they're all the time mentioning Hashem's name. But without all these things, how come God wasn't worried about the Chinese or the Japanese or the Africans or the Ethiopians or any other nation on earth only in order that the Egyptians should know? What was the, what was the specific uh, point for that, in, in that uh, idea? I want to add to the question, Rabotai. Our parasha begins by telling us that God says, I hardened the heart at libo of paro. 
Ve'et lev avadav, and the heart of his servants. Now, can you explain to me, what does that mean, that God hardened their hearts? What was the point of the hardening of their hearts? The end of the Pasuk says, in order that I should be able to put my signs there. If they already give in, if they have no heart left in them, no more fight left in them, they'll let the Jews go, you can't finish the ten makot. Clearly God had a plan to give the ten makot. Okay, fine. So therefore, we, what does he need to do? He needs to harden Paro's heart. Ve'et levavadab. The funniest thing is, Rabotai, before the Makkah even comes, Moshe tells them what's going to happen. Until when will you not become humble before me? Rashi says the word le'anot comes from the root word of ani. He quotes the Targum Unkulis that says, Until when do you not humble yourself in front of me? From the root, 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 of, root word of the word ani, which is a, a poor person who is forced to humble himself when he comes to ask you for your help. What's interesting to me is, what did the Arbe affect? The Arbe affected the chisa'et ayin ha'aretz, the eye, so to speak, of the land. It covered up all of the light that was being given by the sun because it was a complete cover over the whole. Swarms were so large, it blotted out the sun. The word ani and the word ayin are the same letters. Okay? Now listen to this. So what happens when Moshe tells them the dire news that they're going to eat up all of the food in the land? The servants of Paro come to Paro and they say, Until when? Until when are we going to let these people destroy our land? Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? One second. You just began the perasha by telling me that I'm going to harden the hearts of Paro. That means that they're going to be strong enough to withstand the makot. But then before the next makah even appears... What do the servants of Paro come and say? Let him go. What happened to the hardening of the heart of the servants of Paro? Not only that, Paro himself also says, you want to go? No problem. You want to go serve your God, Hashem? No problem. Who's going? You want everybody to go? That doesn't sound like what you're asking me. Sounds like you're trying to run away. Leave me the women and the children. And that way I know with those hostages you're going to come back. And Moshe doesn't agree. It sounds to me that even the Egyptians themselves, the Avde Paro, were also, same Paro, same servants of Paro, they were already, they had a hardening of the heart, but to a degree. They were willing to say yes to Moshe, but to a degree. They're negotiating. You want to go and come back? Okay, no problem. To that level, you know, we're okay. But if you want a full leaving, an exodus of Egypt, no way. And when Paro says no, we don't find that the servants of Paro argue with him. Now I have a question for you. The whole city is going down the tubes. The whole country. Everything is disappearing. We're, we're going to be no, we're going to have no food. There's going to be a famine. All these makot already, six other makot happened already. What are you holding on to? For what? Even if they all want to go. Like they say, Baruch Shepitarani Thank God for getting rid of these people. What do they want them so bad for? In this we see the Hachbada, the hardening of the heart of Paro, and also his servants. Because here they didn't disagree with him, they agreed with him. And I think we learned an unbelievable lesson in this Rabotai. And that is, the most logical of people, even people who seem to be engaging in a conversation quite often, 
there comes a point where something is personal enough that they are unwilling to engage. No matter how much they're hurting themselves by staying in the deal, no matter how much they're hurting themselves by selling out, for whatever reason, this is something which is important to me, chalas, I don't care, I'd burn the whole house down in order not to give in. Who's in on this? Not only paro, also avde paro. Because when they want to leave with everybody, they don't disagree. Rabotai, I want to illustrate, and I think that's the point that we're being told, taught, taught about. God doesn't only want that the Jewish people should know His name. The purpose of creating this world was not only for the Jews. If the purpose of this world was for the Jews, why are they six billion, nine hundred million, you know, and uh, and eighty other, uh, nine hundred eighty million other people? That means that it is God's plan and God's will and God's desire that there should be people from every nation and every background and every stripe. All of them yeah, have a purpose and a mission in this world. It's Yisrael's job to teach the world God's word. They don't have to convert, but they need to learn at least the seven mitzvot ben Enoch as well. And many of these concepts we have given over to them. Rabotai, this is the biggest challenge in the world. You see, all the nations of the world think that when Jews talk about being the chosen people, that we mean it as some sort of super amazing you know, result, that we're special, we're chosen, everybody else is unchosen. But actually, Rabotai, it's not true at all. What does it mean that we were chosen? We'll read in two minutes in the next parashiyot that actually we didn't choose. It wasn't God that chose us, excuse me. It was us. We agreed to all the laws, the regulations that God was putting in front of us. But any such person throughout all of history that would like to be part of building a world for God, anyone is welcome to be part of that, of the fabric of, of the Jewish people to be able to do that. Now, this is so important, and I cannot stress this enough. So why did God want the Egyptians to know His name? Not so that they would be Jews. But at the time, Egypt was the superpower of the world, both economically uh, and militarily. They were the most advanced, what we're learning from that period of time, through the hieroglyphics, etc., the methods of construction, the pyramids, all these different things, they were the most advanced civilization at the time. God said, if I make my mark, if they know, never mind if they change, if they at least know my name, then that will filter down to the entire world. Rabotai, being the chosen people, is not always the easiest thing or the nicest thing. That means in order to teach the world these messages, the Jewish people needed to suffer in slavery for so long. Part of being the emissary of God is not only that when we are rewarded, we are rewarded extraordinarily, but also that when we are punished or when difficult things happen, those also happen in an extraordinary way. Rabotai, the privilege and the honor of being a Jew sometimes has a dire, a dire price to pay. Sometimes it's full of biracha and it's the most wondrous thing on earth. And sometimes also it gets the nations of the world talking. And all the people of the nations of the world will see. You know, there's two endings to that type of a beginning in the Pesuk of the Torah. One time it says that the name of God is called upon you. They will fear from you when you're wearing your tefillin, when you're acting the right way. But also we see the same beginning of the Pasuk. And the nations of the world will see 
They will see the Aretz, Eretz Israel, and all its sicknesses and all its destruction when we're driven into exile. And they will say, What is this great anger? What has happened? We're, you know, and they'll learn from our troubles. They'll also learn to connect with Borei Olam. Rabotai, we learn in this week's parasha one modality of the Jewish people's job to bring the word and the light and the misvot of God's uh, benevolence to the entire world. We see the right side of the flip of the coin. But we know more than most that sometimes the coin flips the other way and the peoples of the world learn about God's existence through the other side of that coin. Rabotai, just this past week, friends of mine spent time in, uh, in Poland. And I don't know if you saw the pictures, but they made an enormous tent. Like, you know how you would make at a simcha, you put up a magnificent tent, and you make a shema berachot out in your backyard. Or some people today, they're making weddings in their backyard, in their houses and deal, and they're having a tent that you could have hundreds of people. They put up one such tent, but with one tremendous difference. The front of the tent was not the ocean like it is at the weddings in Deal. But the front of the tent was the gates of Birkenau, of Auschwitz-Birkenau. And there in the rows were many people, one after the next, after the next, witnessing, so to speak, coming back as witnesses in history. People who spent time being tortured there, who now had built families, who had built uh, you know, communities in a new world. And they had seen both sides of this coin, the side of the coin where you witness the extraordinary pain of the Jewish people, a pain that is unrivaled against amongst any nation on earth. And then they were able to witness as well the extraordinary rebirth of a country, the country of Eretz Israel. that in this short time, in 75 years, it's amazing how close they were in history, the beginnings of this new country and the endings of all of those countries. You know, if you go to a place uh, in, what's it called, in, um, in Treblinka, you'll notice that they wiped out the entire camp and all that's left there is tombstones, but not tombstones like you would ordinarily see with people's names on them, but tombstones with cities, tombstones with the name of countries that had thriving Jewish populations that were absolutely destroyed. Rabotai, I want you to hear this. And all of those countries, upon the death of those countries and their Jewish populations, a new country was born. A place that has become more advanced than any country on earth in the short time that it's been there. Its cities are rebuilt. It is producing and exporting uh, uh, technology, flowers, crops, you know, to the whole entire earth. This startup nation, Rabotai, I want to share with you, and I think this is the most important thing, and we'll end with this. This is what God says to, to Moshe Rabbeinu. God says to Moshe, He doesn't say, Lech el paro, Go to Paro. That's what He should have said. What does He say? He says, Bo el paro, Come to Paro. What is God indicating? What is God intimating? That there are times that we will be forced to come before our enemies. But know this, God never says, Go. Where He remains where He is and sends you on some mission unaccompanied. But rather, HaKadosh Baruch Hu does the opposite. Even when he walks into Paro, into the, into the courthouses of the, of the kings that will decide our fates, so to speak, at least HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes with us, and he's there with us. And as he said in, Par, uh, in Mitzrayim, I brought you down to Mitzrayim, and I will also surely take you out from there.
May we all witness in our personal lives the ability, number one, to be able uh, to uh, remain true in the times of difficulty, but also the ability to remain true in the times of plenty, in the times of biracha, where it's sometimes even more difficult to remember our mission and our purpose. May God bless us, Be'ezat Hashem, to be able to survive the difficult times and to have the courage to be able, the the hardness of our heart, to be able to withstand the difficult times, but also, Be'ezat Hashem, uh, the, uh, the, the softness of a heart, to be able to attribute to God uh, the berachot when they come. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.